Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about teaming up with your superstitious brain. I'm your host, Durmak, the wizard and peasant lord of this vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings, Placebo Mages. Today, I want to give a very broad introduction to tarot cards and share a little bit about my first steps learning how to read them and talk about how they're still useful even though there's nothing supernatural about them. So, I just started learning how to do tarot readings, and by that I mean like a week ago. Before I got my first deck, I was trying to learn more about tarot, and I found a lot of the so-called beginner resources out there assumed a lot of prior knowledge that I didn't have. So for this episode, I'm going to assume that you know absolutely nothing at all about the tarot. Now, if you do know something about it, hopefully you'll still get something valuable out of the episode in terms of uh, how I sort of rationalize it or, or find it useful within a placebo magic framework, a psychological framework. Let's start by asking, what is tarot? Originally, tarot, spelled T-A-R-O-T, was just a type of deck of playing cards that was used in Europe um, starting in the 1400s, very similar to our modern poker deck. Like modern playing cards, you could use a tarot deck to play any number of different card games. And like modern playing cards, there were four different suits, each with numbered cards as well as face cards. In addition, the deck also had a set of special cards with more elaborate illustrations called trumps, kind of like how we have the Joker cards in modern decks. They're not part of one of the four suits. Tarot just has a whole bunch of these special cards, each with a unique name and picture. Now, modern tarot decks have 78 cards. 22 of them are these special illustrated cards, what used to be called trumps, but they're now called the Major Arcana. Um, arcana is the plural of Arcanum. Um, the Major Arcana are numbered from 1 to 21, except for the card called the Fool, uh, which doesn't have a number, but it's usually considered to be either 0 or 22. The major arcana depict like mythological or archetypal symbols like the sun, the moon, the lovers, the hermit, the emperor, the wheel of fortune, or temperance. The other 56 cards are divided into four suits, uh, swords, cups, wands, and pentacles. And a pentacle, by the way, is a disc with a five-pointed star on it, a pentagram. In each of the four suits, there are numbered cards, ace through ten, just like regular playing cards, and there are four face cards, the king, the queen, the knight, and the page. So 14 cards per suit times four suits equals 56 cards. And these 56 cards are called the minor arcana. The 56 cards of the minor arcana plus the 22 cards of the major arcana make up the 78 cards in the modern tarot deck. Anyway, while tarot decks have been around since the 1400s, They've only been used for magical purposes since the 1700s, at least that's the earliest we have evidence for anyway. People have been using randomization for divination purposes for eons, um, casting lots, rolling bones, drawing straws, you know, that kind of thing. So with the ease of shuffling cards, it's only natural that uh, people would use a deck of cards for that purpose. The general term of, for using cards for divination is cartomancy, with a T, cartomancy. 
Practicing divination using cards is called reading, as in reading the tarot. The popularity of using tarot decks for divination eventually led to people designing, manufacturing, and selling decks specifically created for cardomancy, with an evocative illustration rich with symbolism on each card, even on the numbered cards, to make each card more distinctive and to provide fodder for interpretation. Nowadays, there are three main variations of tarot deck used for divination. There's the Tarot of Marseille, the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck, and the Thoth deck. Uh, that's T-H-O-T-H. The Tarot of Marseilles is the deck that was standard in France in the 1700s when the use for, of tarot for divination was spreading. So this deck wasn't designed with divination in mind. It was designed with playing card games. Um, but some purists prefer it because it's the original deck that was used for that purpose. The Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck, which is sometimes called the Rider deck, or the Rider-Waite deck, or the Waite-Smith deck, uh, you get the idea. Whatever you want to call it, it was published in 1909, and it was known for its illustrations by Pamela Coleman-Smith that were rich in symbolism. The Thoth deck was designed by Aleister Crowley, the father of modern occultism, and painted by... Marguerite Frida Harris, and it was finally published in 1969, long after the two of them were dead. Of these three decks, the Rider-Waite-Smith is the most popular and the most iconic, easily. There are thousands and thousands of different tarot decks on the market today, but the vast majority of them are directly based on one of these three variations, and most often on the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. Uh, some decks are just another artist's interpretations of the same seen in their own style. Um, others, you know, they they reinterpret the symbolism and use different symbols to, to kind of try to to paint the same idea. Um, and a lot of decks are, are themed after a specific thing like Norse mythology themed deck or My Little Pony or, or New York City or Star Wars. Um, think of them as like reskins. So if you already know how to read the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, if you already know what each card means, then you can pretty easily switch to any of these thousands and thousands of other decks that are based on it. And if you have a deck based on Rider-Waite-Smith, um, then you can also learn how to read that deck from any instructional resources that were intended for the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. So the, you know, the information, the knowledge transfers pretty easily. That said, the specific deck that you use might still flavor your interpretation through the artist's interpretation. All right, so most people who use tarot cards see the cards, or at least the process, as something supernatural or magical, a way to foresee the future or gain knowledge from supernatural entities. The whole premise of this podcast, of course, is that magic isn't real in the usual sense, but that practicing magic is still very useful as a way to interface with our deeper psychology. So how are tarot cards specifically useful in placebo magic? Well, essentially what reading tarot does is it forces you to look at your life from fresh perspectives. When you read tarot, you basically have a random, chaotic field of potent symbolism arranged in front of you, and you're trying to create order from that chaos by fitting the symbolism into your own life. And that process forces you to rearrange and reframe the way you think about your life, and through that you gain insight. The cards can't tell you what will happen in the future, but they can and will help you to mentally process the possibilities for your future often including new, exciting, or frightening possibilities that had never occurred to you before the reading. It's really not that different from, like, 
reading a daily Christian devotional and then trying to apply it to your own life. But the, in this case, the randomness of the tarot, along with these vague but powerful symbols, allows for an almost unlimited supply of fresh perspectives. All right, so how do you actually use a card deck for divination? To start with, uh, you might be approaching the deck with a specific question or a, a difficult situation you want help with, or you might just want a general reading to keep in mind that day or month or year, you know, some wisdom for the day. I think nowadays most people just do readings for themselves, but you can also do a reading for someone else. And there are some tarot practitioners, especially more traditional ones, who think that you can't or shouldn't do a reading for yourself, or who at least think that it's much harder to read for yourself. So far, I've only tried reading for myself, and uh, I suspect that reading for another person can produce more surprising and more interesting results because you're you're combining the intuition and the creativity of two different people, and you're like riffing off of each other a little bit. And it's like you you know you can't really have like an improv comedy show with just one person. You can't really play Dungeons and Dragons with just one person. You have to have someone else to riff off of and to, to keep things unexpected. So I think two different people, plus the randomized input of you know shuffling and dealing cards, uh, would create an electric dynamism that's very difficult to replicate in a solo session. But don't let that stop you because it's still a very valuable reading for yourself. Okay, so from there, you've got your, your specific question, or maybe just you're looking for a general reading. You deal out a number of cards into a configuration called a spread. Now, you know how when you play solitaire, you always deal out random cards, but into the same configuration to start with? Well, a spread is just a particular arrangement of randomly dealt cards. Each position in the spread, each spot where a card will be dealt, means something in the overall context. For example, in one of the simplest spreads, you deal three cards in a horizontal row. The card on the left represents the past, the card in the center represents the present, and the card on the right represents the future. If you have a specific situation that you want help with, you might choose a certain spread that fits that kind of question. For a simple yes or no question, you might just draw a single card and gain some insight from that. For questions about a relationship, you could deal one card to represent yourself and where you're coming from, one to represent your significant other and where they're coming from, and one card turned sideways, forming a bridge between the two to represent what's happening between you and in the relationship itself. Most common spreads are applicable to most situations, but they might have different qualities, like being easier or harder to read, focusing more on internal versus exter external factors, focusing more on the present or the past or the future, and so on. Okay, so you deal the cards in a certain spread that you've chosen, then what? <clears throat> well, each card has specific meanings. Generally, uh, it has one broad theme that's communicated by the picture, and then a number of different ways you can interpret that theme. So let's take the Hermit card. It's a, it's a picture of a guy in robes and a white beard standing on a mountaintop carrying a staff and a lantern. Now I'm, I'm describing the Rider-Waite-Smith um, card here. The card is typically associated with wisdom, scholarship, truth, solitude, and mentorship. So depending on the position of the Hermit card within the spread, depending on the other cards present, and depending on the specifics of your life and whatever question you brought to the table, you could interpret the Hermit card as referring to a specific mentor figure in your life, 
It could be a period of solitude and spiritual seeking. It could be wisdom or knowledge or truth as sort of general virtues. Or it could be a relationship in which you intend to serve as a mentor to someone else. Or any number of other interpretations. Uh, you can consult a book or a cheat sheet on the meaning of each card if you don't have them memorized yet. Uh, and once you have a sense of what each card in the spread could mean, you start to fit the whole spread together into a coherent picture. Let's say that you're using the three card spread I mentioned earlier. The left card represents the past, the center card represents the present, and the right card represents the future. The idea here is to connect the three together into a chain of cause and effect, like a little story. The card representing the past needs to be interpreted in such a way that it is a major factor in causing the present situation that is depicted on the center card, or represented by the center card, rather. And the card representing the future needs to be a very plausible outcome resulting from the present situation that's represented by the center card. So you're basically taking these three random thematic elements and weaving them together into a story. I used this uh, three-card past-present-future spread for my very first reading using the reprint of the original Rider-Waite-Smith deck. I didn't go into the, into the reading looking for help with any specific situation, just general insight for my life. Uh, so to look up the meanings of different cards, I've been using a book called Holistic Tarot by Benabel Wen, which I'll discuss more in a few minutes. Anyway, the card on the left representing the past was the Three of Cups. It shows three women dancing in a circle holding chalices above their heads. There's a pumpkin on the ground in front of them and some kind of fruiting shrub behind them. And they're, the women are wearing these kind of uh, loose robes or gowns. It shows, uh, according, to, according to Holistic Tarot, this card is all about celebration, merriment, community, and abundance. It's about celebrating success that came about as a result of teamwork. The center card in my spread, representing the present, was the Hierophant. This card depicts a, in my opinion, gender-ambiguous, bishop-like religious figure in red robes and a crown, sitting on a throne holding a scepter, while two tonsured monks or priests uh, bow at his or her feet. According to Holistic Tarot, the Hierophant card represents conformity to tradition or to conventionality, or just in general it represents orthodoxy orthodox thinking and acting. Uh, sometimes the card can represent concealment or deception in that context, like hiding your, you're hiding your true self in order to fit into, into orthodoxy, into the norm. Now the card on the right, representing my future, was the emperor. This card shows a man with a long white beard sitting on a throne, holding a scepter in one hand and a golden ball or maybe golden apple in the other hand. He wears a crown on his head and red robes over a suit of armor. Behind him, there's a stony mountain range and a small river. Now, according to Holistic Tarot, the Emperor card represents authority, domination, governance, superiority, and father figures. However, the book goes on to point out how the rocky landscape behind the Emperor looks parched and dry and inhospitable. And it, it suggests the question, what has been conquered and, and what did it cost to conquer it? To quote the book, the dryness of the imagery indicates thirst, a thirst for a different kind of sovereignty than the one the seeker has attained. Now, the author also references the story of King Midas in reference to the golden apple in the emperor's hand. Perhaps the apple is not just a symbol of wealth and power, but also of the tragedy of ambition. 
um, because you know you, you can't eat a golden apple. <laughs> so looking at my spread, the this dark aspect of the Emperor card was the first thing that jumped out at me. You may recall that in the intro to the podcast, I refer to myself as the peasant lord of the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur. Basically, I mythologize myself as the farmer king of my little northern Michigan woodland homestead. And so I found this idea of my future involving being the ruler of a parched landscape ruined by ambition incredibly haunting. This image anchored the reading for me, and from there the other two cards started to make sense. Looking at the Three of Cups, my, um, the card representing my past, uh, the, the three women drinking and dancing together in a garden, I was reminded of the organic farm where I used to work, first as an employee and later as a volunteer. Through the summers we held weekly potlucks, but even our lunches at the farms were festive as we feasted on produce harvested fresh from the fields. There was always a, a, a mood of celebration and camaraderie. And in context, the Three of Cups card provided a stark contrast to the Emperor. The Three of Cups depicts community and celebration in a fertile garden, while the Emperor depicts an older man who seems to have obtained the power he craved, but he has no beauty in his life, no friends, and useless gold instead of edible fruit. And underneath his robes, he's still wearing uncomfortable-looking armor to protect himself from any foreigners who would try to encroach on his empire. So, let's say that my past includes summer merrymaking with friends on an organic farm. And let's say my future includes being the lonely ruler of a harsh landscape. Now, what's in between that takes us from point A to point B? That's the center card, representing the present, the Hierophant. With the understanding that the Hierophant stands for conformity and orthodoxy and concealment, I ask myself in what way I'm currently conforming. In what sense am I one of these tonsured monks bowing at the feet of the orthodox ruler, the orthodox uh, way of life? Well, I took that to represent a few things in my present life. First off, in order to pay off my land, I'm working myself a lot harder at making money than I would like to. In the past, when I was living at the farm, eating fresh produce, I didn't need very much money at all. I was living a sort of bohemian, unorthodox life in community with my friends. But I really, really wanted to own my own land uh, and kind of for the creative potential of being able to, to, to decide where to plant things and, and what kind of landscaping I want to do and all that. And so I buckled down and started trying to make more money. And in the process, I left behind a lot of that freedom and community and took took on a life more in line with the orthodoxy of the American dream, more driven toward money and independence. I feel like to a certain extent I'm suppressing or even concealing my more bohemian side and, and aspirations in order to fit into a conventional role in the workplace and in society. But I see this as a, con a temporary condition. I, I just gotta buckle down and bite the bullet until I can pay off my land, and then my expenses will go back down to almost nothing and I can go back to the abundant lifestyle depicted on the Three of Cups card. So I've been pushing myself really, really hard, putting as much of my income as possible toward paying off my land, and I haven't had as much time as I would like to spend with my friends and spend enjoying food and, and drink. And the last several months have been super stressful as a result. But that Three of Cups lifestyle is not what's in the future of this spread of cards. Instead, it foretells a shallow, unhappy success. Domination of my goals, yes, but leading to a lonely life in a dreary landscape. 
Remember, there should be a causal chain connecting the three cards. So the way I interpreted this is that basically this potential future state of unhappiness is directly caused by the conformity. And that's basically the insight I took from this reading. I want to be the farmer king of my land. And I want, to, I want the land to be a place of bountiful harvests and community and celebration and beauty. But if I treat my happiness in the present as a bargaining chip to trade away for happiness in the future, then that future will never happen because I won't have made happiness a priority. Instead of trying so hard to be a respectable, professional young man, I should let my hair down a little more in the present and let myself be the bohemian wizard living the Three of Cups lifestyle now, at least more than I have been. And then when I do finish paying off my land and making myself the unqualified, no-strings-attached peasant lord of the vast ten-acre realm of Habdur, I'll already have been living the lifestyle I wanted, and I won't look in the mirror one day and find my soul hardened, unable to take off my armor, cut off from the community and the beauty and the bounty of nature that I have been so inspired by in the past. Alright, so I laid all that out to illustrate the process in detail. Each of those cards had a considerable amount of room for interpretation, so what I saw was what I brought with me. I really focused in on a m more minor aspect of the Emperor card, this dark undertone, um, but it might have gone a lot differently if I had interpreted it more as a, as superiority or governance or a father figure. I mean, instead of reading the spread as a warning not to conform too much to the orthodoxy of the rat race, I could have instead seen it as a validation of exactly what I'm already doing. I could see, oh, con conformity leads to being, to being the emperor, to being in charge of my own destiny. Also, this past, present, future spread doesn't really specify how far in the past or the future to look, so you could see the card representing the past and immediately be reminded of something that happened that morning, or you could draw a connection instead with something from your earliest childhood memories. Um, this whole time, with all these different possible interpretations, your brain is going through this this rapid brainstorming process and selection process. It's, you're, you're, you're rejecting a multitude of possible interpretations as you are attracted to certain ones that feel more potently meaningful, that stand out to you, and then you build on it from there. This elaborate dance of pattern matching between the card's imagery and traditional meanings and your life is where these insights come from. Your brain is connecting the dots, using your existing intuition about emotions, about relationships, about cause and effect, about karma, about fears and aspirations and virtues and vices, and this unlimited stream of randomized intuitive puzzles that is generated by the cards, by dealing out random cards, provides a way to keep your intuition on its toes and to keep examining your life from fresh perspectives, casting yourself in different roles and, and your loved ones in different roles and, and putting yourself in different stages of a story. Now I should note here that I cherry-picked that particular reading as an example because it stood out in my mind above the other readings that I've done. Uh, it felt especially profound to me. Not every reading is going to feel that way. Sometimes it'll just serve as a reminder of your values and goals, just a reminder to stay the course. Other times it might be straight up confusing, and my advice in that situation would be to keep keep the cards out in, their, in that spread, or, or else if you don't have room, then copy the spread into your journal or take a photo, and then just keep coming back to it periodically until you can, can get something valuable out of it. Even if you never do find a satisfying interpretation, that process is bound to have worthwhile side effects. 
as you look at different facets of your life through fresh lenses. Now, I also want to note that there's no standard canonical meaning, meaning for each card. Each guidebook and each reader will have their own interpretations. For instance, I mentioned that the book Holistic Tarot identifies the Hierophant card with orthodoxy, conformity, and concealment. However, the little pamphlet that came with my deck um, identifies it with, quote, marriage alliance, captivity, servitude, mercy and goodness, inspiration, the man or the man to whom the querent has recourse. And the, the querent is the, is the person the reading is for. There's a tiny bit of overlap between captivity or servitude and conformity, but otherwise it's a completely different interpretation. I suspect that the more time you spend with each card, the more you'll move toward your own individual interpretations. I mentioned this book, Holistic Tarot, by Benavel Wen. I was drawn to it in particular because A, the reviews said that it was a very comprehensive and authoritative guide, and B, the description of the book made it clear that the author sees tarot not as fortune-telling, but instead as a tool to access intuition. That said, I was a little disappointed to find that she doesn't have a strictly skeptical perspective on tarot. In the beginning of the book, she offers several possible explanations as to why tarot works, some of which are paranormal, supernatural, or pseudoscientific, and others of which are strictly psychological. But in the meat of the book and the rest of the text, she often makes claims that only make sense under a paranormal uh, explanation. Like, for instance, in the description for the Three of Wands card, she says, quote, Startup companies and entrepreneurs or those actively working on developing their creations or innovations into commercial enterprises will often pull the Three of Wands, especially if they're on the track to success. So if you only believe in the psychological explanation, like me, then it's really not possible for one card to come up more often than any other. It is certainly possible that the card would be more memorable and more notable in those situations, and thus, anecdotally, it would seem to come up more often. So anyway, while I can't wholeheartedly recommend the book for that reason, there is a huge amount of very valuable information in it, and very useful information. Just keep keep both your wizard hat and your skeptic hat handy when you're reading it. Also, if you're considering buying this book, just um, bear in mind that it's especially directed toward doing readings for other people, and even... Um, has a section on doing, uh, becoming a professional tarot reader. It takes tarot and the ethical implications and the business implications all this very seriously. So if you're just looking to read for yourself, there might be another book out there. Um, but it's a very comprehensive guidebook, and it's it's a fortune-telling free. But if any of you listeners out there have a recommendation for a tarot guidebook that's more strictly placebo magic compatible... Uh, let me know so I can check it out, and hopefully I can recommend that book in the future to beginners. Now, there's a lot more that I could cover about tarot, but we'll save it for future episodes, uh, tarot 102 or whatever and beyond. In the meantime, if you want to learn tarot, I would recommend buying the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or one that's very, very similar, because most instructional materials use that deck. And I would recommend a guidebook that uses that deck, if you don't want to buy a guidebook, you could instead install an app or use a website. Um, that main, mainly th what you need is a uh, an index of possible interpretations for each card, different things the card can mean. And from there, you just practice doing readings on yourself, on fictional characters, and on willing friends. I find it's easier to start with the spreads that have fewer cards. 
Now it's time for the Spell of the Week. The Spell of the Week this week is a tarot spread representing different layers of yourself. Alright, so I wanted to try my hand at devising my own simple tarot spread. This is another three-card spread, but instead of examining uh, like karmic relationships between past, present, and future, this spread instead looks at different vertical layers of your psychology at any, you know, at a moment in time. So first, shuffle your tarot deck slowly and methodically for a few minutes, clearing your mind as you do so. Making room for intuition. Then deal out three cards in one vertical column. First the middle card, then the top card, then the bottom card. The middle card represents something important about your ego, the way you see yourself, your beliefs about yourself. The top card represents your values and who you hope to become, your idealized, most virtuous self. The bottom card represents something hidden from yourself or repressed, which could be something you don't like about yourself, it could be something in yourself that you're not consciously aware of. It could be something you're trying to push down. It could be a vice that you're ashamed of, but it could just as well be a strength that you don't realize that you possess or an emotional need that you haven't yet acknowledged. The three cards together can highlight this tension that you hold between your values and your reality. When I tried this spread for myself, I decided I wanted it to show me something about how I feel about this podcast. I drew the Ace of Cups, representing my values and aspirations, the High Priestess, representing my ego, and the Knight of Wands, representing something repressed. According to my book, Holistic Tarot, the Ace of Cups signifies abundance, affirmation, prosperity, overflowing love, and spiritual fulfillment. The High Priestess signifies intuition, spirituality, a healthy interchange between the conscious and unconscious, and a little bit of healthy concealment. The Knight of Wands signifies impulsivity, competitiveness, hot-headedness, creativity, and vitality. So in this reading, I see the High Priestess herself as representing me in my role in this podcast as I present myself as Durmak, the Wizard of Habdur, a spiritual teacher. I would like to think of myself as a wise, intuitive, spiritual teacher, bridging the worlds of the conscious and unconscious. The concealment aspect of the High Priestess is what connects it to the card below, the Knight of Wands, representing my very strong desire for this podcast to succeed. I want more listeners, I want more feedback, I want to be on the same playing field as more established podcasters. I check my subscriber numbers every single morning, usually before I even get out of bed, and I'm a little bit ashamed of that competitive or success-oriented side in how it seems to contrast with spiritual maturity. You know, I want to be able to just let it go and, and be detached, but still have the success. <laughs> um, so as for the Ace of Cups, both the Ace of Cups card and the High Priestess card depict water flowing down. The Ace of Cups shows it fountaining down into a pond from a giant cup held aloft by a giant godly hand, um, kind of coming out of a cloud, I think. And uh, on the other hand, the High Priestess's blue robe seems to become water as it flows downward, is color matching the sea behind her. The difference between the two cards, then, is that in the Ace of Cups, the water is coming straight from divinity, while in the High Priestess, it's coming from an esteemed spiritual figure. So, bearing in mind the youthful, competitive, success-oriented Knight of Wands waiting beneath, 
the veneer of, of my ego, I see this spread basically as a reminder that if I want to succeed in my aspirations for the podcast, in my, my aspirations of being a legitimately helpful spiritual teacher, uh, I can't let my ego get in the way. I can't be the I can't be the moon. I can only be the finger pointing at the moon. And so if I if I get out of the way and help people to have their own direct experiences with spiritual fulfillment, I'll be more likely to experience the overflowing abundance, affirmation, prosperity, and spiritual fulfillment that I want from hosting this podcast. You can find the Placebo Magic Podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical. <laughs>